Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome in to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is Carter Baines, our fearless leader down in Corvallis. Carter, how are you today? I'm great. Happy Wednesday, Angie. Uh, just a couple more days until Oregon State, UCLA. Yes. So, you know, you're heading down to UCLA, so I'm excited for you to, A, see the Rose Bowl, be in the game, and, and also excited for our fans and our members because you're going to be firsthand right there to uh, help give us updates from the Rose Bowl. But before we, we start talking UCLA, let's talk Stanford. You and I sat by each other in the press box, and that first half, I think we were both ready to tear our hair out and leave, and yeah. then something happened, and they came back. What were your takeaways from that Stanford game? Uh, you know, well, the main one, offensively, is Oregon State just needs to put together four quarters. Um, you know, this is not the first time we've seen this this season where they've um, you know, completely fallen flat in one half of the game and actually outside of the Oklahoma state game, they have been held scoreless in one half or the other every single time. And it's yeah. really cost them in these close games. Um, they lose 31 28 to both Hawaii and Stanford. Um, you know, and, and they have, they have one drive with points in in those scoreless halves in either of those games. And, you know, they could be three and one right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I sense this tension with Beaver fans and, and this, disappointment and which I don't know what's what's worse Carter this was something I was actually kind of thinking about in my head the other day is it worse to be six total points away from three and one and be close or is it worse to just get blown out I think for fans who are strictly um, concerned with wins and losses um, the hope that they get from these close games can be a little more painful than just uh, being blown out like Oregon State has been in recent years. But um, if, if you're really concerned with the improvement of the team and the program, it, you have to kind of accept these moral victories of close losses in comparison to blowouts. Uh, I mean, you know, Oregon State completely destroyed by Stanford a year ago. And, you know, albeit this is a, a, dip, a much different Stanford team this year. But, uh, you know, that's that's a win for the team morally. Uh, you know, to, to come within three points of, of beating a conference opponent at home in a conference opener. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, um, but it is. I think that might be, it's it's just so hard to kind of, to fathom, right? You know, you're so close and then yet so far away. Um, it, it brings, though, to a, a point that a, a friend of mine played for Oregon State back in the, in the early 2000s, brought up to me. And I, I just pulled it up because it's interesting. He told me, he's like, this reminds me so much of Oregon State in 1998. No, you weren't even alive then, Carter, but I, I pulled it up here because Oregon State that year, um, most of you, most just remember that big double overtime Civil War win with Ken Simonton. And I mean, it was amazing. The Beavs finished five and six that year after, you know, what, 28 losing, uh, that was the 28th consecutive losing season. But where my friend actually went with this was that the, that season ended with a one point loss on the road to Washington, a one point loss at home to Cal and a 
what um, seven point loss to UCLA. So three games that were seriously, you know, you're within, you know, a point to a touchdown away before winning in that double overtime fashion. So, you know, in his opinion, it's just a matter of getting over that hump. And, you know, that Oregon State did that then in the Civil War. Do you, I mean, do you see something maybe similar happening? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is how you build a program right here. You have to take uh, some step forward uh, before you can start winning games. And, um, you know, I, I think this is a great opportunity for not only the players, but, you know, this young staff who's, you know, largely inexperienced. Jonathan Smith is only in his second year. Um, it, to, to play in these close games, um, it's it's kind of a learn-by-experience type situation where, um, you know, they've talked about this in, in interviews recently that um, this really goes a long way in preparing them for future situations where they're maybe down by a touchdown late or, uh, you know, in a close game in the fourth quarter where maybe they might execute things differently. Um, so, so it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity for them moving forward, I would say. Yeah. And that's a super, super good point because where this Stanford game, I would actually put on the players because there was some lack of execution by several players, both offensively, special teams, um, Defense actually played a pretty pretty solid game, but you know when you look at that stat sheet, it's so disheartening because Oregon State basically won in every statistical category except for the one that matters, score. Yeah. But I would say that Hawaii was lost with the coaches, some of the coaching decisions. So um, you're right. I think both the young, the players, and the staff having are having to learn on the fly and learn how to win. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up. So I posted yesterday, and I don't know if you've um, you've pulled it up yet. But we'd had the, by the numbers, our um, number crunching segment that we do on Beaver Blitz now that we're into the season. It was eye-opening when I was putting this together, Carter, because I, usually I just keep it with national rank and the Pac-12 rank. But I also went back and pulled the 2018 data as well. And to see where the team has really strikingly improved is, um, I, I think Beaver fans should really stop and take a quick look. Have you, have you taken a look at that yet? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is really impressive to look at um, just the the statistical improvement that we're seeing on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think people see it on the field, but maybe, um, you know, maybe it's not quite as apparent um, to them at, at the time just how much uh, they've improved statistically in comparison to other teams in the past. To their peers, yeah. Well, and, and to nationally, too. I mean, you look at... So offensively, they weren't horrible last year, although like turnover margin in 2018, they were 10th in the Pac-12, 94th nationally. And right now they're 27th nationally, 5th in the Pac-12. So that's um, third down conversions. They're fourth in the nation right now, first in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. on third down conversions. Um, total offense, third in the Pac-12, 22nd nationally. So um, they are moving the ball, which is obvious. Um which in 2018, they ranked seventh in the Pac-12, 62nd nationally. But defense mm-hmm. is one. Um, I mean, last year, it was like they were 128th out of 129, like every week in like every category. Um, total defense has gone from 12th in the conference and 128th nationally to 99th in the, in the country, 8th in the Pac-12. Okay, yeah. it's so bad. It's so bad, but it's not horrible. <laughs> I guess you could. I guess that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean they're still on the bottom, you know, twenty percent of the country in a lot of these statistics. But you know, 
to make that leap from essentially the worst or bottom five schools in the country in all of these categories to, you know, ranking right around a hundred in all of them, you know, that's, that's a pretty big step in, in one year. Um, and then I, I, I want to add offensively, um, we have turnover margin listed on there, but total turnovers, they actually lead the country right now with just one turnover. And it was yeah. really just kind of a fluky interception by, by Tristan Jebbia with that pass going off his own offensive lineman's helmet. So, um, you know, that's a huge, huge improvement for Oregon State. That is huge. And and their, their points, their scoring per game is up. Their yards per game is up. One defensive category, too, that they really have made a huge stride is red zone defense. In 2018, mm-hmm. they ranked 12th in the conference, 125th nationally. Currently, they are ranked 4th in the conference, 39th nationally. So um, they're they're holding guys to field goals and uh, not score and and holding them from scoring. So um, they they are making improvements. But at the end of the day, Oregon State's one and three. Yep. Yeah, you have to keep it in perspective, though, when you look at that one and three record and. And, you know, that's that's where these stats become really important if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, because, you know, a, a one win team at this point in the season might not give you a whole lot to get excited about on the football field. But uh, when you really stop and look at how much better they are than a year ago and, you know, really well, over the, the last three years ago, seriously, a couple of years ago, that team would have been down 21 zero into the third quarter. They yep. would have just rolled over. And mm-hmm. it would have got real ugly. So the fights there, Carter, you and I in the press box, you're hilarious because for fans, you know, Carter's keeping up with our, our host in the lodge on game days, but he's looking at me and before halftime, he's like, okay, if they score now and then they get the ball back to start the second half, it could be 14, 14. Like, yeah, it could, but it wasn't, but your, your optimism, Carter, it was, was contagious. That's the curse of following this football team for so many years is that, you cling on to pretty much any source of optimism you can find. Um, and in, in that case, you know, the offense did come out in the second half and, you know, put something together. But as it as it usually happens, it just wasn't enough. OK, so let's talk about well, let's let's do your game ball for, for Stanford. You had a great recap of the 10 top performers. If you got had to pick somebody on offense and someone on defense, who would you uh, pick as your MVPs from from this past week? Uh, offensively, I, I would go with Artavis Pierce. I know Isaiah Hodgins just had another monster game uh, with, I believe it was 162 receiving yards and a touchdown, which is, I mean, just incredible what he's doing. But yeah. Artavis Pierce to step in to a, you know, the featured back role um, when he was, you know, kind of preparing to, to be a backup this year. Um, what he's done in Jefferson's absence has been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, finding the end zone regularly, breaking long runs. He had a, a season-long 43-yard touchdown against Stanford. Um, you know what he's, he's doing. Fast. What, yeah, what he's doing for the offense is, you know, that's huge to get from a backup. Yeah, yeah. And then defensively, I know who you're going to go with. I think because if Hamica you don't go Rashid. with him, yeah, I was going to say was gonna, yeah. if you're not, then I will. But he's um, he's the conference leader in tackles for loss and sacks. He had two more sacks against Stanford and. I mean, he's definitely the best playmaker on Oregon State's defense. And really, he's proving that he's one of the top defenders in the conference. And I just love his fire, right? He, he's that leader out there that's really helping fire guys up. So, nope, I can't argue with either choice. So um, let's jump right in and talk about UCLA. What, you know, this UCLA team is stacked with talent. 
but they are reeling, reeling bad. And it sounds like um, their quarterback might be out. He hasn't been practicing, hasn't been seen around campus or not at practice. So um, just what are your expectations heading into UCLA? Yeah, I, I think this is a real opportunity for Oregon State to take another step forward defensively. Um, you know, even with with Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback, UCLA has only put up 14 points in more than half of their games. You know, really outside of uh, outside of their 60 plus point performance at Washington State, they have really, really struggled to score. Um, they've also been really turnover prone. Um, they're near the bottom of the entire country and uh, turnovers lost. So, um, the, you know, the Oregon State defense over the last couple of years and this year, too, has really struggled to force turnovers. And I think this is a big chance for them to, to kind of get some momentum there. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard for me to pick a win just because Oregon, you know, Oregon State has, has struggled so much. And, and down in L.A., for whatever reason, the Beavers have really historically struggled. But um, if there's a, a time to do it, this is this is the week. So um, it'll be interesting to see. We kept hearing details, you know, from Coach Smith. Mm-hmm. We heard it from the players to see if they take that next step and really, you know, take that to heart and, and hone in on the on the small details. Because like you said earlier, these losses are just one play here or there. And it means the difference of a score and a potential win. Yeah, exactly. They've um, put a, put a pretty heavy emphasis on those small details as they like to say in practice this week They're you know, they're really pushing the uh, come out and play for four quarters mentality um, because it will take a complete game to beat anybody in this conference, even UCLA who, you know, is, is really struggling this year. Oregon State's going to have to put together at least three quarters, probably four quarters to beat this team on the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Carter, I I think we've talked some UCLA. We've talked Stanford. Let's talk about your quick hits, our little weekly feature that we do, and and we've opened it up to the members of the Lodge. You want to know how you did this week? Yeah, let's hear it. Best week you've had, seven out of ten. Good. That's right. I'm You're making make, progress. making progress there because yes. the last couple of weeks have been pretty rough. And you know, the only thing that really killed you is that you had Jefferson as your leading rusher and your leading scorer and you didn't play or mm-hmm. didn't play much. So, mm-hmm. so nice work. You know how it goes. You know, the questions, I'm not going to try to, to change anything up on you. So we're going to just go give me, you know, yes, no, or a player. And then we keep track. So let's go. Luton. Will he throw for over 300 yards? Uh, yes, I, I, have, I think he will. Uh, we saw him do it this week against a, a pretty solid Stanford defense. And, you know, I, I'm not convinced that UCLA has a better defense than Stanford. Okay, leading rusher. Well, I'm not going to go with Jefferson anymore just because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's burned me the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I'll go with Artavis Pierce. Okay. Uh, leading receiver. Isaiah Hodgins. Okay, that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Leading scorer. This is tough because, I, I mean, I think it'll either be Pierce or Hodgins. Um, I, I'm more inclined to go with Pierce just because he'll get more touches than Hodgins. Okay. Takeaways, over, under, two. Over. Oh, you're going with the over this time. Okay. Yep. Sacks, over, or under, two. I'll take the over on this one as well. You know, if, wow, if, especially if, if UCLA goes with a... Uh, Backup quarterback in Austin Burton, um, you know, Hamaka Rashid might be in for another big day. Leading tackler. I'll go with Rashid. Okay. 
you were you were thinking Avery Roberts, weren't you? I was thinking Avery Roberts. Oh, look at that. Um, shoot care. Will he be over 50% in all his kicks? Now, just for our listeners, last week you said yes, he would. And it's all kicks and PATs. He was four for four on his PATs. So that helped push him over that 50% mark. I, yeah, I think, he'll, I think he'll do it again this week. Okay. Uh, Beavers score over 35. Yes. Okay. And will the Beaver defense hold UCLA to under 200 yards rushing? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Okay, there you go. Good. I have it all marked down, so we'll, we'll see how you do next week. But are you ready for another batch of damn questions? Of course. Okay, we didn't do this last week, and that was on me, but um, I had a lot going on with the whole um, wide receiver transfer slash non-transfer that will remain nameless. So that was going on, and I did not get the, the questions posted, so we posted them this morning. And I actually have quite a few good ones. Um, probably another topic that we don't really want to talk about anymore right now, but we had a couple questions on it, so I think we have to. Lawrence K. wants to know what the chances are that Scott Barnes uses another saying other than apples to oranges when asked about budgeting. Yeah, that's kind of what we've been getting. And there, there's another one, uh, PNW, uh, Pacific Northwest Seeker kind of asked the same thing. And this might be a better question. Is Oregon State University truly and honestly committed to winning football games? They talk the talk, but their actions and financials speak louder. What do you think? And these are heavy questions because it comes down to, you know, it, a, pr- a pretty touchy subject for Oregon State right now um, with all of the press they've been receiving about their budgeting and everything. And, yeah, you know, I, I will say this. W- within the team, they're 100% committed to winning. You know, this, the coaching staff and the players are totally bought in. Um, you know, this, this idea that Oregon State is not invested in football simply goes back to administration. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I don't want to discount the team in any way when – when we're talking about this, um, you know, it comes back to President Ed Ray, the athletic director, Scott Barnes, and, and their decision-making on, on budgeting. And, and Oregon State will tell you over and over and over again that, that this is just how this report is all kind of a Title IX report. It's not a financial statement, which we know that. And it's, it's just different, differing ways of accounting for things. But you know, what I've seen is an 87-page directions on how to report everything. So you really should be comparing apples to apples. And we haven't really got an answer on why Oregon State is different. Um, you know, for, for people that have asked me on, you know, direct messages on Twitter and things about, you know, what does the football team need? You know, what, what aren't they not getting? You know, it really just comes down to that investment in coaches' salaries and making sure you have the money there to to retain good coaches, it comes down to training tables and just making sure that those training tables maybe are elevated a little bit. Um, recruiting expenses, you know, medical expenses. It's, it's not that Oregon State's not doing all that stuff, but it's just taking it to the next level, which other, you know, competitors are doing. So, um, yeah, I, it's been interesting. I, I didn't mean to get kind of sucked into this with, with John Canzano, but um, I think it's important. And I think it's really important um, that we kind of see the numbers and, and see you know, where it lines up because Oregon state is adamant that they are, you know, that this is apples to oranges. And I just don't see based on what I've read on the reporting, how it can be apples to oranges. Yeah. They'll, they'll say that, you know, they just report it differently, but, um, 
you know. I mean, Carter, you've seen some of the directions. It's pretty cut and dry. I yeah, mean, exactly. Where and debt service goes and where maintenance goes. And I mean, it's very cut and dry. So yeah. unless and somebody so if, made a mistake in the past, you know, then just come out and own it. Right. Exactly. Just come out and say we've made a mistake and we haven't been reporting this correctly. And this is how it's different. But um, instead of just kind of coming out and saying, but it's different. It's different. I, I think so, I think what I need to see and what a lot of Beaver fans are looking for is just accountability. Um, uh, like you said, you know, if, if there was a mistake made in the past, just admit it, fix it. Um, because it's, it's just bad optics right now. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and sometimes you're just better off being transparent and saying, yeah, there were mistakes made and this is how we're correcting them. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of changing gears, our friend EB hoops wants to know, he, he wants to talk players and he says, is, is, Smith playing a vast majority of Gary Anderson's kids because he believes he can win now or because his own two classes have lacked better? Would it be more prudent to be developing, quote, his guys in what is still a building year? Let's be honest. The cupboard was bare narrative has not been true. I, I, I do think he thinks he can win, right? I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. always a matter of going out and putting out the best players you have right now. Yeah, the Road staff just talked about, and, you know. The, yeah, I mean, the staff talked about through Paul Camp that at every position, they're going to put the best guys out there who, who they think will give them the best opportunity to win a game. And, you know, a lot of those guys are still Gary Anderson recruits because those are the upperclassmen right now. You know, yeah. the, only, the only Smith staff recruits that are um, juniors or seniors and really even sophomores at this point are the transfers that they brought in. And... To be honest, those guys have played, except yeah. for you know those who who have been injured, Nathan Eldridge, Addison Gums, and Tajon Lindsay a little bit as well. Um, but to to say that you know Smith's guys aren't on the same caliber as the Anderson recruits, I think it just comes down to the fact that a lot of Smith's guys are freshmen and sophomores right now, a lot of redshirt freshmen as well, and um, you know we've only seen a couple of them get in the game with say JoJo Forrest, Luke Musgrave, but. I think it's just a matter of time with them. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that they're any less talented. It's just it comes down to they don't have the experience yet, and Anderson's guys have proven that, you know, they're difference makers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you you figure that at some level, those juniors and seniors are bigger, faster, stronger, just because they've had more time with the staff, or you know, with the strength and conditioning staff, or the past strength and conditioning staff in a in a college environment. It just gives them that one that step up that true freshman and that, you know, and we, we talk stars all the time. And a lot of times the difference between a, a three star, a high three star and a, and a mid three star. And then that four or five star is just their body in high school. Those four and five star guys are guys that physically are ready to come in and play at the next level. Whereas a three star is going to take, you know, take some time in the weight room and nothing wrong with that. It's just not the immediate, the immediacy is not there. So that's, mm -hmm. I, I'm not concerned at all. And, um, you know, the, the transfer portal is going to be Oregon State's best friend. That's that's my feeling on this. Yeah. Um, let's see. What do we got? Thaddeus Kirkhofer. I hope I said that right, Thaddeus. Are you guys as concerned about Luton using Hodgins as a crutch as I am? He complete, completely locks onto him on almost every passing play. Yeah, I will say in the first couple games of this season, you know, I was really calling for him to look for other guys, get other receivers involved. And I think he's done a better job of that recently. Um, you know, but Isaiah Hodgins is still clearly his favorite target. And 
I think it's for good reason. Hodgins is a top five receiver in the country when you look at his statistics. And, you know, I think he's certainly established himself as the best receiver in the conference. So why not look to him? You yeah, know, go, yeah exactly. go with what's working at this point. And, you know, I mean, he is going to be double teamed and then you, sh- you need to start looking at other guys. But um, I mean, seriously, Brandon Cooks was that way too. And, and Sh- Sean Manning used to lock onto him and he still made plays. So exactly. Just, you go to your playmakers and, yeah, Hodgins has shown that he's been – he's honestly, he's one of the only receivers that Oregon State has had that consistently has been getting open, too. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, you're going to go with the advantage. guy. That's one advantage he has over the rest of the group, too, and that's why Luton looks to him so much. Is, you know, he's really the only one that's shown an ability to you know, get separation with any consistency. And, you know, that's huge. So, um, okay, this is a good one. Sean Leahy. Thanks for listening, all of you guys, too, by the way. Um, but this is a good one because you and I kind of started talking about this off off air. Um, but you told me you had some opinions on this. So he he's keeping it. Luton has shown flashes. But when do we see Jebya at QB and a shift to a prepare for 2020 mentality? What is Carter's take on this? Yeah, I, this is a really interesting situation just simply due to the fact that Luton's a six-year senior, and Jebby is kind of the quarterback of the future for Oregon State. Um, I will say, you know, at halftime of, of the Stanford game, I was kind of calling for maybe a look at Jebbia even this early in the season because you know, it, it was clear at that point that whatever Luton was doing was clearly not working. Um, and so you know, why not at least get a different look for one game and then maybe um, you know, decide on the future of, of that position moving forward later on. But, you know, it was clear that the staff is locked in on Luton. Now I will say if Oregon state comes up short at UCLA this week, I think this is a, a, you know, I think that presents the opportunity to go to Jebbia now um, because, you know, five games through the season, if Oregon state sitting at one and four, you know, it's, there's not a whole lot of opportunities for wins down the road. And I think you'd rather see your quarterback of the future get um, a little more experience at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you think UCLA, you wouldn't even wait till like the halfway point with Utah. No, I I think at this position um, at the quarterback position, this is the week that determines uh, kind of where the program goes at, but well, especially since we've with, heard with, all along how close they were, right? I mean, they're yeah. supposed. You know, how many times have we heard both quarterbacks can score points? Yeah, they can win with both quarterbacks. Yes. Is what they like to say. Yes. So, but I, I will say at the other positions, um, you know, I would wait until that redshirt period is passed. You know, after that eighth game where um, those players can still play the rest of the season and still redshirt. You know, I would wait until then with a lot of the other freshmen um, or, or guys down the depth chart to get them opportunities. No, it's four game. They can only they can play four games. So yeah. That's how it, so some I, I know I was actually going to we're going to be running a, a story on that actually in Blitz here. Who's played? How many how many of the true freshmen have played and who's still kind of on red shirt watch? So, um, you know, I hear I see some guys on ready lists kind of ready like like this last weekend I saw. um Frankie, he was he was suited up, ready to go. So I, he has not played yet, but several freshmen have played. I I would right now it looks like 
Alex Austin, Jojo Forrest, and Luke Musgrave are going to be the non-redshirting players, mm-hmm. but um, we'll, we'll take a look at that here. Yeah, Actually, Coach Smith did week. say uh, a couple weeks ago that, that Musgrave and Forrest would not be redshirting. He didn't name them specifically, but okay. he said, um, you know, freshmen who have played consistently up to this point will not, not be red redshirting. Shirt. Yeah, so that's... Um, you know, to look for, you know, something that we'll be diving into a little more too. And then switching gears just a little bit, um, Oregon State did pick up a, a commitment yesterday in three-star wide receiver Silas Bolden. I don't know if you've seen the film yet, Carter. Um, fast. He's a, a track and field guy. He's Victor Bolden's younger brother. He's very built a lot like him, maybe a tad taller. And Victor told me at one point Silas is a little faster than he is. But um, though he was one of the official visitors along with 2020 wide receiver commit Trevor Pope. So those two were the only two official visitors on campus. Both had a great time. And, uh, you know, Trevor told me he is a hundred percent solid, not even looking at any, anywhere else. And then with Silas's commitment last night, I know there's been some snarkiness about whether he's solid and he's a hundred percent solid. Um, he's like a 10, six, three hundred meter kid. So, um, he's got wheels. He's that five ten wide receiver that uh, can do a lot of different things. In fact, 24-7 has him listed as a athlete, but we have confirmed with him that he is going to be a wide receiver. So um, that's kind of where we're at. But the next home game, that Utah game, is going to be a huge recruiting weekend for Oregon State. So I have already, we're already at about five confirmed visitors, and that's, you know, two weeks out. So um, it'll be a very big weekend, and I look for double-digit official visitors that weekend. So definitely stick with us we'll be on next week too to um, preview that as well as the game and talk about ucla carter thanks so much for joining me today yeah of course and uh we'll look forward to your stuff from sunny socal yeah i'm, I'm really excited to go down there and cross off a stadium from my bucket list you know i've i've always wanted to go to the rose bowl and unfortunately you know i don't think the beavers will be playing in the rose bowl game anytime in the near future so this is a kind of a fun opportunity to get down there. It's your shot. I know. I, I, I still wonder. I'm I'm in my 40s, and I wonder if I will ever see the Beavers in a Rose Bowl. But I hope so. Someday, someday. Well, thank you, Carter. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Damn Podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. <laughs>